the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour of 5 p.m. as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. We think about the Christian experience. We try to wrap our minds around what God's grace is and what that means. And, of course, we can intellectualize this. We can attribute to grace unmerited favor. We can try to think through what this means. And yet, I have to be honest with you, in the hmm, 40 years, I guess, now that I've been a Christian, as much as I think about grace and appreciate grace and experience grace and have it touch my life on a day-to-day basis, there's an aspect of grace that I don't understand, and that's probably a good thing, because there are aspects about grace that go so far beyond, I think, our ability to intellectualize it. This holy and righteous God, in front of whose eyes we have all sinned, as we're told in Romans 3 and 23, dead in our transgressions, and yet while we were sinners, while we were yet sinners, God sent his only begotten Son to die on our behalf, that through that substitutionary work on the cross, we might not only be saved and forgiven, but reconciled unto him and experience grace in our day-to-day lives. Brian Christopher has written a new book called Simple Gospel, Simply Grace, How Your Christian Life is Really Supposed to Work. Bob, by the way, is CEO of Basic Gospel and host of the Daily Call-In radio program of the same name, Basic Gospel. And Bob, thanks so much for being with us tonight. Well, thank you, Craig. It's great to be with you. Looking forward to the time together. It's an important topic, I think, because um, believers, I think, of, of any stage in their walk with Christ need to be reminded of how incredible this grace is that God has shown toward us and the totality of what it means as we see Christ as that bridge between death and life and, and what it means to be reconciled unto very God himself because of his grace for us, um, I think ought to simply leave every Christian, again, no matter what stage they're at in their walk with Christ, ought to leave every Christian absolutely with their minds blown by this. Oh, Craig, absolutely. Absolutely. Um... Most theologians, when they get to their later stages of life, and this has been through 2,000 years of church history, you know, when asked, you know, what is the most important subject uh, about Christianity, and they always choose the word grace, um, because e- even if they've been Christians for 50 years, 70 years, 80 years, they feel like they've just cr- uh, scratched the surface, and and grace is one of these 
big words. I mean, Jesus Christ is full of truth and grace. Jesus Christ is grace itself in, in essence. And when you think how big Jesus is, that's when you start to get an idea of just how big this grace of God is and how powerful it is to make us alive together with Christ. So I think it's the most important subject, uh, most important word in the in the Bible, apart from Jesus Christ and, and the Word God itself. Is it a word that we need to keep coming back to again and again and again? In other words, sometimes you, you, you hear some that might suggest that this grace is a one-time experience, that God showed his grace toward mankind uh, there at Calvary. We can uh, partake of that grace in our salvation experience, and then once one, once it's done, it's done. Is, is it that way, Bob, or is it really an ongoing experience? Well, it's an ongoing experience. I say in the book, you know, once grace gets started, it never ends. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite writers is D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And oh, yes. he said this, the Christian life starts with grace, it must continue with grace, and it ends with grace. Grace, wondrous grace. You never can get away from it. And as soon as you start getting away from, you know, the grace grace of God, I find that's when things start to mess up. Um, I, I find that's when, you know, I get anxious, I lose peace, I've, you know, I have this restlessness inside. But every time I circle back to the grace of God and get a fresh look at what that exactly means in, in my everyday life, things start to settle down, and, and, and the peace of God that passes all understanding begins to fill up all the spaces in, in your mind. So I don't think we can ever get away from grace. I, I, I know most people and many folks um, communicate it as kind of first-grade stuff, but really it is it is the foundation, it's the building, it's the roof, it's, it's everything about this Christian life. Your book title, uh, Simple Gospel, Simply Grace, uh, might suggest that there's a simplicity to this. And I guess it's kind of interesting because it, it, it it's simple to the degree that Scripture lays it out for us, and yet there's a level at which I don't know that we can ever really fully understand grace, can we? No, I don't think we can fully under, understand it because it's, it's really the essence of who Jesus is. And so we're ever going to be growing in our knowledge of, of Christ and growing in the grace of God and learning how this grace of God applies in, in everyday life. So it's a lifelong endeavor to grow in grace. And then, uh, you know, when we go to be with the Lord, when He comes back, when we all receive these resurrected bodies, we're going to stand as as testimonies to the grace of God throughout eternity. Uh, and boy, just when you think of that, then you realize just how powerful and how wonderful this grace really is. Break it down in terms of, of understanding um what this means when we talk about grace. Um, we say unmerited favor, and uh, people might think, well, you mean like when the when the judge uh, throws out my parking ticket when I really should have gotten it anyway? Or <laughs> help us better understand that. Okay. Well, I think that's a really good question. And, uh, you know, if, if uh, you know, a judge throws out our parking ticket or uh, a cop decides not to give us uh, a ticket when indeed we've been speeding, that's, that's uh, on the mercy side of the equation. Um, so that's withholding from us what we justly deserve, 
grace is giving to us what we do not deserve. Um, so grace is this very present, active word in our lives. So all of us, when we come into this world, we're dead in trespasses and sin. So spiritual death is a big problem. We don't deserve life. There's nothing that we could do to merit life. There's nothing that we could do to bring it about for ourselves. So God, in his grace, has to reach down to us, even though we were dead, and make us alive together with Christ. So that's the first aspect of God's grace. It's, you know, when you read that uh, passage, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. It's it's a gift of God, not of ourselves. Well, the whole context of that passage is going from death to life, that God makes us alive together with Christ. That's grace. He gives us what we did not deserve. And then it's this life of Christ that sustains us. So we're always in his favor. Nothing can separate us from his love. Um, by his grace, he's forgiven us of all of our sins. By his grace, he teaches us to say no to sin and to live righteous, upright lives. By this grace, he builds us up, he encourages us, he gives us a brand new identity. He helps us through trials and tribulations uh, in life, and he works within us to bring about his purposes in our day-to-day -day experience. So grace touches every aspect of our lives. So I, I like to say that most people think of grace as a word that covers the past, but actually it's a word that meets us at our point of need in, in the present and moves us forward. So it's a forward-moving word uh, tied to Jesus Christ, his spirit living within us. Um, that's just how wonderful it is. Bob Christopher with us tonight. We're looking at his latest book, Simple Gospel, Simply Grace, how your Christian life is really supposed to work. Uh, you might be a new believer in your faith and struggling through some of these questions, and, and uh, we want to encourage you to take the opportunity to get your questions answered. Maybe you've been in the, in the faith uh, walk for a lot of years, but there's still some things that you don't quite understand. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. We're visiting with Bob Christopher, the book, Simple Gospel, Simply Grace, How Your Christian Life is Really Supposed to Work. Let's talk a bit about this concept that you were sharing earlier that I, I think is an amazing one, and it will help us perhaps understand a bit more about the breadth and depth of God's love for us. Um, you talked about grace and sort of the first part idea that we see it as withholding punishment. It's an idea of something that is being kept from us. So we get the speeding ticket, but the judge decides to let us go, even though he knows, we know, yes, we broke the law, yes, we are deserving of this punishment, but regardless, the judge shows his quote-unquote grace and keeps the punishment from us. But the grace of God goes so much further than that, as you were suggesting before the break, Bob, because it's not just a matter of God keeping a rightly deserved punishment from us, but then it's what he gives to us in and through that. Oh, absolutely. It is, it is Christ himself living in us. Uh, I've defined God's grace as this, God's work in Jesus Christ to make us spiritually alive and to power, empower us to live in this world as his children. 
So we we can't do that on our own, and that's that's where I missed it for so long, Craig. I I was trying to live out the the Christian life with the old adage, "Try harder." Every time I fell on my face, I'd get up and make promises to God, and you know I would just give it my best shot, trying as hard as I could to live the Christian life. And the harder I, tr- I tried, the tighter sin's grip became in my life. And when I finally understood the grace of God as, as being more than merely a covering for the past, that's when the Christian life started to make sense. That's when I really discovered how it was supposed to work, Jesus Christ living his life in and through us. And I think that's what much of the Christian world misses as far as the gospel message is concerned. Well, let's elaborate on this point for a moment. You, you mentioned, and I think rightfully so, the, the problematic viewpoint, which unfortunately in, in modern-day pop Christianity seems to be more and more prevalent, this idea of Christianity being a, like a self-help program or a self-improvement program. We hear this kind of nonsense preached from the pulpit of, of Joel Osteen. It sounds to me oftentimes like an Anthony Robbins seminar without walking on hot coals, and, and you have to pay, of course, <laughs> or contribute to the uh, to the offering plate at some point during the service. But it, it almost, well, it doesn't almost, it outright cheapens grace and and turns what God is meaning to be this wonderful experience of, as you suggest, not just withholding punishment, but then giving to us. It it really short circuits and robs us of the fullness of his grace when we see it as just this sort of self-help or self-improvement program. Yeah. God doesn't want to make us better. He wants to make dead people alive in Christ. I mean, our our old way of life was empty. Uh, Peter uh, really nailed it in his first letter when he said that life that was handed down to us from our moms and dads is nothing but an empty life. Uh, you can slice it every way you, you can, and it still comes up empty. So God sent Jesus to put an end to that old life and to raise us up with him so we could walk in the newness of life. And that newness of life is a life lived by grace, through faith, in Jesus. Um, And and we really have to learn to embrace that simplicity. And, And here's where the difficulty lies, Craig. Faith is a foreign concept to us until Christ comes in our lives. And then we start to discover what a life of faith is all about. So constantly from, you know, Genesis through Revelations, we see these reminders, trust the Lord, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. Those who put their confidence in the Lord, those who believe the Lord, that's the one thing that God is looking for from us, a heart that believes Him. And in that faith, all kinds of incredible things happen in our day-to-day lives. But why is it that so often, Bob, we wind up getting bogged down in fear and in guilt? And it, it, it becomes, I, I think of, we see this every once in a while, some of these extreme sports programs on TV. And you watch these guys going white water rafting, and all of a sudden they're heading down, and they think they're having the grand old time, and all of a sudden the, the, the torment of the water overcomes the, the raft and overcomes them. They might find themselves suddenly 
out of control and running off the edge like you're about to head, you know, right over the the edge of the, I don't know, uh, Niagara Falls or something, and, and suddenly you become absolutely overwhelmed by fear and guilt, just like the guys get overwhelmed by the torrent of water when they get out of control. How, how do you how do you go about extracting yourself from that when the flow of the current is so fast? Well, Craig, that's a great uh, that's a great point, and and boy, a beautiful an- analogy there as far as fear in our lives. Um, you know, fear has to do with punishment. That's how John connected it in his his first letter and he says perfect love cast away that fear and if we're really going to grow in grace and embrace this new life that we have in christ we first have to settle that forgiveness issue we have to recognize that the blood of jesus actually did take away our sins once and for all um that is i think one of the most critical truths that that we need to latch on to and really take our stand upon. And that's the fact that when we receive Christ, we receive forgiveness of sins. Um, Paul said it twice, once in his book to the Ephesians, once in his letter to Colossians, that in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So the question is, are you in Christ? And if you answer yes, then you can ask, well, what do you have according to these passages? Well, it says redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, the question that follows that is, do you really believe it? Do you really believe that right now, at this very moment, you have forgiveness of sins? And that becomes the real issue. If I struggle right there, that's when fear can take hold of my life. And we're going to pause on that point. When we come back, I want you to share with our listeners the uh, uh, Binaka story. I think it'll, it'll paint a nice picture that will ideally illustrate the challenge here, particularly in that sense where sometimes we struggle with the notion that his grace is insufficient for us because we see ourselves as being unworthy and unlovable. And there's nothing worse when we end up getting caught. We'll come back to more of the conversation with Bob Christopher as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Simple Gospel, Simply Grace. Bob Christopher, my guest on this segment of Lifeline. And uh, Bob, as we talk about the struggles that we often have with this notion of uh, feeling unworthy, unlovable, sometimes uh, just feeling uncomfortable with the fact that we feel this sense of fear and guilt, uh, you've got a great story in the book about uh, your experience as a young man uh, with um, Binaka, which I have to be honest with you, when I first saw it, I thought, oh, I remember that. didn't even realize they still made it. <laughs> but tell us a bit about that story. I think it, it ideally helps illustrate this point. Well, well, Craig, it, it was... Uh an experience in seventh or eighth grade i got involved in a shoplifting gang and we would go into drug stores and and we would just steal things things that we didn't need and one of those things that we stole quite often uh was this little breath freshener spray called banaca well one night uh friday night i spent the night with my friend david and we went out and went to one of those stores and we stole some banaca and we stole a lock why it just for the challenge of it i guess and uh so we came back home and you know i went home the next day and as as things would have it david's mom went into his room 
and started cleaning up and he and, and she found the lock and she asked david uh where'd you get this and uh he said well we stole it and you know he just he just he just caved like any person would and uh you know as moms do um you know she dug a little deeper and and david told the whole story about you know bob actually stole it and we got banaka too and so she, uh, you know, tried to figure out what to do, and then she picked up the phone and called my mom. And uh, that next Monday, I was delivering papers. Uh, I had skipped out on my band band rehearsal. I was a truant, so, you know, I'm a thief and a truant. And, uh, you know, mom's not real pleased with me. And uh, she says, get in the car. And I'm like, no, it's a beautiful day. And finally she says, Banaka. And I was just done. I unraveled right then and there and knew I had been caught. And, you know, I could just imagine the punishment that was coming my way. And uh, Mom and Dad decided they were going to take me back to every store that I had stolen something from. And I was going to get in front of the manager and confess what I had done. And they were going to leave my punishment in these managers' hands. And fortunately for me, they were lenient and just required that I pay back, uh, pay them the money for the things that I I stole, which I did. Um, But that didn't relieve my guilt because I knew, you know, my sin held something with God. And at that point, I just walked on eggshells wondering what God was going to do with me. I knew punishment was just around the corner. And that fear just over came me in such a way that every time I sinned, I felt Jesus left me. And so I had this formula. I'd confess, I would, would, would ask God to forgive, and then I would ask Christ to come back in my life. And I probably prayed 500 different times during my teenage years for Jesus to come back and live in my life, because I didn't know what he had actually accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. And finally, I went to a Bible study, and the teacher started explaining Colossians chapter 2, when you were dead and your transpasses and sins, he made you alive together with Christ. He forgave all your sins. And that forgiveness just poured over me, just washed over me, and finally I rested in the finished work of Jesus. And that fear of punishment went away because I knew Jesus had taken my punishment for me. And in exchange for that, he gave me his righteousness. That's a pretty good deal. That's what grace is all about. God giving to us what we do not deserve. But because he loves us so much, he was willing to send Jesus to take our punishment for us so that we could stand in his presence as righteous as Jesus Christ himself. Let's get to some calls. We're going to head over to uh, Lee in Palo Alto. Lee, come on in with your comment or question for Bob Christopher. Well, that Banaka story was wonderful. I think uh, probably a lot of people could identify with it. I sure could. I remember beating myself up for years. But one thing that I wanted to ask, and I don't know how to ask it without sounding kind of like uh, expecting too much, um, or or putting a demand on God, which would be like a sin in of itself. But my question would be, when you know you're forgiven, when you know that it's finished, how do you um, somehow 
experience God's grace, not, and not like the everyday grace where we have our health, we have the sun, we have our needs and whatever, but God's unmerited favor on a day-to-day basis with him actually walking with us. Um, I, I don't know if I asked that right. I just, I'm yeah. not talking well, I think about I, I'm, I'm following what you're saying there, uh, Lee, as, as far as how we experience the grace of God. I, I think the first way we experience it is, is, is by resting in his finished work. You know, most of us are are tense inside, we're anxious inside, because we're not sure if God really loves us or not, or if God has forgiven us or not. And when we finally come to that point and recognize that the work has been finished, we experience this sense of rest uh, inside of us. So that's the first way we experience it. And then we experience it... um, by the Word of God becoming strong in our lives and, and us learning to say no to the temptations uh, of, of this world and the temptations of sin. We recognize that what the world has to offer is just empty. And so I think we see a, a sense of victory in our lives as far as the world is concerned. And then I think the third way that we experience the grace of God is is by really getting to know the heart of the Father and learning to see the world through His eyes and people through His eyes. And we get so caught up on you know, in morality and trying to make the world a better place, but God sees people's hearts, and He and He sees people in one of two ways: you either belong to Him, or you're still lost and dead in sin. And when we see it from God's perspective, then our hearts start to melt, and we want to reach out with that gospel message. So the the grace just gives us, um, I, I think, deeper insight into the very heart uh, of of God the Father and what His love is all about for this world and the people that we shoulder uh, with every single day of our lives. Does that help, Lee? Yeah, it does. It helps greatly. I, I remember in the Old Testament where you had these people that poured out their hearts to God, like Hannah, who couldn't have the child, and, and when she was in the temple with Eli, and, and she just poured out her heart. And, and God gave her the grace of answering that prayer. And I think the third one, because I, I know in my case I, I know I'm saved, and I'm in the Bible often and around other believers, but I want to see the, the, the Holy Spirit type, um, uh, how can I put it, like answer to prayer more than just in, in our area. Maybe it's just this area. It seems like there's a lot of Christians, but we're kind of impotent. Well, I think you're, I think you're right because... Um you know, our greatest asset, as far as believers are concerned, is is a knowledge of God. We really know what God is like because Jesus Christ has has made that known to us. You know, when we see Jesus, we see the Father, and so as we grow in our relationship with Jesus, and as we grow in our knowledge of who He is, I think we're going to see our hearts melt toward the world in a way that we want to reach out and and connect those people to the love of Christ just as we have been connected to the love of Christ. So just uh, just 
make it your prayer that, Lord, I want to grow in your grace. I want to grow in, in the knowledge of who you are. And I guarantee you that's a prayer he will answer. And you will see that being answered in time. Very helpful. All right. We appreciate your call tonight, Lee. I guess part of this, too, is, is, is the ongoing struggle that we have with the flesh, Bob. Um, we, we, at a level, because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit, recognize that we are in need of, of forgiveness. Uh, we recognize that we have sinned and offended a holy and righteous God, and, and yet it's difficult for us sometimes, once having had his grace extended to us, to fully accept that, embrace that, and I guess at certain levels um, even learn uh, the concept of forgiving ourselves as much as God has forgiven us. I, I got a kick in your book. You make reference, and this I think shows the, the level at which mankind struggles with this, that Stanford University here in our backyard actually has something they call the Forgiveness Project. Yes, yes, they do, and, and they're trying to figure out if forgiveness is really an essential part of, of well-being and health and, uh, you know, normal relationships, and they're discovering that that's, that that's the case. Um, but, but they spend a lot of time on this idea of forgiving ourselves. And, and it's interesting when you, when you scour the Word of God, there, there's no place there where God says you need to forgive yourself. What he does say is stand firmly in the forgiveness that I've given you in Christ. And when you recognize that, then you're able to let go of the past. You're able to let go of those things that you've been dragging around in life for years and years and years. So when, when we stand firmly in what Christ has accomplished, that's when we can really forgive ourselves and let go of the past and fully embrace um, the resurrected Christ here and now. Bob, we sure appreciate the time and the book, Simple Gospel, Simply Grace, How Your Christian Life is Really Supposed to Work. The new book, by the way, published by Harvest House and available at Christian bookstores throughout the Bay Area as well as through Amazon.com and uh, Bob's website, too, simplegospelsimplygrace.com. And there again is Bob Christopher, host of the call-in radio program, Basic Gospel. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You know, you look at the headline news of the last, my goodness, six, eight months or so, and it just seems like no matter where you turn, we're seeing incidences of racial unrest, <laughs> massacres in churches, economic imbalance, social strife, on and on the list goes. Hard sometimes, perhaps, to see hope and justice and reconciliation in the midst of this turmoil. A lot of people, I think, have concluded that we're, if not in, we're certainly rapidly heading toward the end days. And meanwhile, we wonder, well, what does that mean for us from a faith perspective? How can we better find places in which not only God is working to bring about healing and restoration, but most importantly, feel as if the work, the job that we do is significant toward that end? Warren Smith joins us now, Vice President of World News Group, and perhaps you are a subscriber to his wildly popular World Magazine. He's authored more than 10 best-selling books, including the most recent, Restoring All Things, God's Audacious Plan to Change the World Through Everyday People. And Warren, great to have you on the program. 
Great, great to be on with you. Thank you so much. It is hard sometimes not to be discouraged. And just as we sort of uh, reach the point that we seemingly have processed the significance of yet another major negative news event, uh, sure as the sun will rise tomorrow, here comes one more. And I think for a lot of people, not only do you kind of get a sense that your your hope meter is is wearing out in all of this, but that you're you're wondering, well, where exactly is God in all of this? And and is there any hope in which I can play some kind of small role in engaging in some kind of significant, important change in our society today? Well, you're exactly right, Craig. And you know, it, it, you don't have to look any farther than the headlines. That's exactly right to see um, bad news. I mean, the Supreme Court rulings have been really discouraging to a lot of Christians. Uh, we see ISIS uh, just murdering Christians all over the Middle East. I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, there's plenty of reason uh, to um, to say uh, that we live in serious times. But uh, we, uh, as Christians, are not allowed to despair. Despair is a sin. Uh, despair means we've given up hope. And, of course, Christians, of all people, should be people of hope. Uh, faith, hope, and love, Jesus said, or, or uh, uh, the Bible says, not Jesus per se, but the Bible says, or the, the three chief Christian virtues. And so that's one of the reasons why John Stone Street and I uh, wanted to write this book, Restoring All Things, because... As we have been looking out at the world at all these negative uh, stories, we've also been, been seeing something just quite remarkable, and that has been God's people doing God's work in the midst of all the chaos that's going on around us. And when God's people do that, when God's people just don't get distracted and continue to engage in God's work, which is loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbors as ourselves, it's amazing what's happening. We've seen communities transformed. We've seen lives rebuilt. We've seen entire cities uh, transformed, as, as in the case of Atlanta or Detroit. Um, uh, Atlanta, an organization called SCS Urban Ministries, and in Detroit, a ministry called Emmanuel Temple, which are two organizations that we profile in Restoring All Things. So we wanted to tell some of those stories because we felt like Christians did need some hope, in the midst of these chaotic times. So at the end of the day, is it less about the news events and more about perspective? And I, and I asked that question because, you know, when we were kids, uh, we all were raised in school to uh, to master the three basic R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. Something always told me that one of those words at least was misspelled. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But from, from, a, from a Christian perspective, there's another set of three R's that I think we can't forget that, in fact, is foundational to our very faith, which is what leads me to this question about perspective, and that is another set of three R's, redemption, reconciliation, and restoration, which is foundational to God's plan for not only mankind here on earth, but certainly the role that that, uh, that Christ played in world history. Yeah, well, that, that's exactly right. You know, in fact, I'm glad you brought up those three R's, because there are, in fact, many more than those three R's in Scripture. We, in fact, we begin, near the beginning of the book, we talk about the rewords of Scripture, and you've mentioned three of them uh, there. Uh, too often, however, Christians focus on another set of R's, which are words like rebuke and resist and uh, engage in those activities that um, are trying to hold back the tide of chaos. Whereas, 
I think if we focus more on the three R's that you mentioned, R's like reconciliation and restoration and redemption, uh, we, we become people who um, not only are actively engaged in the work that God is calling us to do, this, this activity of, of restoring all things to himself, but we are also presenting a witness to the world that I think they will find compelling. You know, it's, it's one thing um, to say that Jesus saves and Jesus uh, transforms and Jesus redeems, but if our lives don't show that, Craig, it's, that argument is not convincing. That declaration of the gospel, however true, is not convincing. But whenever we are actively engaged in the process of reconciliation, not only are we declaring the gospel, but we are demonstrating the gospel in our lives. And I think that's a much more convincing proclamation of the gospel. Well, in many respects, too, don't we find that message uh, far more impactful in the middle of chaos? And and I ask that question because, you know, let's use the example of the lives of any of us. If we pause for a moment and think, you know, if, if you were doing well, you marry the perfect wife or husband, you had the perfect job, you had the perfect amount of money in the bank, you have perfect health, uh, all of it, a lot of people could argue, well, you know, for what do I really need God here, at least on earth? I mean, yeah, that fire insurance thing on the other side, yeah, that works out okay. But here in the here and now, I'm doing pretty well. But for most of us, our testimony is that in the midst of the pain, the agony, the chaos, when our life seemed to be falling apart uh, right before our eyes, there stepped in God with a message of healing and reconciliation and redemption. And so oftentimes, doesn't God work best in the middle of the chaos that sometimes we as Christians try to push back against and prevent from happening? And I wonder if sometimes we might accidentally be short-circuiting God's plan, because in the midst of that chaos, doesn't his grace shine the brightest? Well, I, all I can say to that, Craig, is amen and well said. Uh, you know, and, and, and throughout history, I think not only in our own individual lives, which you've just identified, but throughout history, we have found the Christian Church thriving whenever the world around it was in chaos. We tell stories, for example, uh, from the second and third century, whenever the great plagues, um, uh, diseases, were just just ravaging cities, and people were running out of the cities uh, into the rural areas just to keep themselves away from danger and disease, but it was the Christians who ran into the cities to care for the sick and the dying, many times sacrificing their own lives in that process. But it was such a powerful witness that we saw Christianity spread dramatically in the second and third centuries. Uh, Even recently in the Ebola epidemic that we saw in Africa, uh, I was amazed at the doctors that that, um, got Ebola and that were put into the quarantine, and a couple of them even died as a result of their work there. And whenever I found out about their biographies, one doctor after another, one healthcare worker after another, were committed Christians working in that environment because they were motivated by the love of Christ and love for their neighbor. So this has been the story of the Christian church. I think it's a story that we sometimes do tend to forget in our prosperity here in America, but uh, it's one that we need to remember. Well, especially since at the core, if we talk about this from the, the viewpoint of it being a message of redemption, it suggests that there needs to be something from which one is being redeemed, does it not? Yep. I mean, yeah, is, is, the, is the message of heaven all that powerful a one, uh, absence the existence of hell? I, I, would, I would suggest probably not. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, the great theologian F.F. F. Bruce, Bruce once said that uh, 
they, an, an understanding of sin is the beginning of salvation. And, uh, you know, it's important that we do um, understand that we're all sinners in need of a Savior, and it's, it's awful, also easy for us Christians to get a little self-righteous about where we sit versus our neighbor. But, you know, our neighbor, Jesus died for our neighbors, even the, one, the neighbor that we don't like, you know, just as much as Jesus died for us. So I think that, um, you know, what you just said there is such a powerful component of this whole uh, understanding of a Christian worldview, which is that we do live in a fallen world, but that God loves us so much that he sent his son, and when we accept him as Savior and are redeemed from our own sins, we get to participate with him in this process that uh, the New Testament describes as restoring all things uh, to its former glory. No, I, I wonder out loud if sometimes maybe this is not an example of spiritual laziness, maybe even a little bit of spiritual haughtiness, um, that sense of reveling in the bunker mentality that, well, everybody's against me, woe is me, look the way that they're attacking me, and so uh, we're doing uh, perhaps a yeoman's job at playing the victim here. Um, and so maybe some people sort of revel in all of that as opposed to saying, look, in the midst of all this turmoil, we've got some work to do. And uh, in the midst of this turmoil, God can do some amazing things in terms of extending that message of redemption, reconciliation, and restoration in and through me. We'll talk about that as our conversation continues. Warren Smith, Vice President of World News Group, publisher of World Magazine, author of more than a dozen best-selling books. We're talking about uh, finding God's redemption in the midst of a chaotic world. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 